we observe the breath coming in and coming out, and the mind can become collected in this way. When the mind is collected and peaceful, then proliferation decreases. There may be some thoughts, but the thoughts do not bother the mind anymore. The thoughts uh, come and go, uh, just uh, making just a small impression on the mind, having a light touch. We can call this a mind that has reached stillness and peacefulness to a certain degree, to a certain level. When the mind is collected in this way, we put down wanting, put down wanting to get anything. We do it with a mind that lets go. Sometimes the mind is peaceful, sometimes not. Whether one is feeling diligent or lazy, one practices all the same. Whether one is uh, doing activities or doing formal practice, one endeavors to have mindfulness and wisdom with all activities. We can compare this Dhamma practice to planting a tree. Our duty is to uh, water the tree, give it fertilizer, protect it from uh, insects and other pests, and beyond that we simply let the tree uh, grow according to nature. And doing it in this way, taking care of the tree as best one can, then the tree will give fruit and flowers and shade in its own time. And we may feel impatient with the tree. And after we plant the tree, we may want to see, oh, has it grown yet? Has it given flower and fruit and shade yet? And we may want to check on it and disturb its growth in this way. But this would be, uh, this would disturb the, the natural growth of the tree. So in Dhamma practice, it's the same way. It's the same way with the mind. So in terms of our meditation object, we use a meditation object that we like, that we feel an affinity with. Whatever meditation object we find uh, gives rise to peacefulness very easily, gives rise to collectedness very easily in the mind, then that's the meditation object we should use. And contemplation leading to peacefulness is also a legitimate way to practice. Or just simply knowing the mind and letting the mind become peaceful in this way, this is also a fine way to practice as well. So when the mind is collected, then disturbances and distractions uh, fall away from the mind. Usually the mind is constantly encountering objects from the six senses. Uh, for instance, and also the, uh, the internal objects such as uh, greed, aversion, and delusion, mental proliferation and busyness, uh, feelings of doubt, wanting, aversion, anger, wishing of harm, feeling lazy, or uh, feeling sloth and torpor, or restlessness. Uh, this are, these are examples of the five hindrances. These are things that obstruct the mind, make the mind not peaceful, cause the mind to fall away from collectedness. 
So Dhamma practitioner in any given day encounter, encounters many, many uh, sense impressions, many aramanas coming from the six senses of the five physical senses and the mind as the sixth sense. And these six senses are constantly feeding impressions to the mind which receives these impressions. So for instance, the phenomenon of sound is uh, external waves in the air that hit the ear and this impression gets sent to the mind or uh, light, which is contacting the eye sense and then this sends the signal to the mind, sends the mental impression or the sense impression to the mind. And same with uh, an aroma, an aroma contacts the nose and then the nose, this gives rise to the uh, impression of smell or if one is eating, then the contact of food with the mouth will give rise to the experience of taste. So whatever sense door it is, it all comes back to the heart. That's what receives all these sense impressions. So in any given day, this happens uh, really a lot. And especially in the modern day, these days, it is difficult for the mind to realize collectedness and peacefulness because of certain uh, changes to society and technology and so on. For instance, there's a lot of communication these days and this high level of communication leads to many sense impressions in the mind and leads to a lot of sense of self, a lot of me and you arising in one's experience. And this leads to a decrease in the stability and collectedness of the mind. Another example is the use of electric lights and light bulbs. In the past, one, uh, people would just use candles and the candle gives off a less light. And this, uh, the amount of light the candle would give off being less would lead the mind to become more easily peaceful because the mind is contacting less uh, visual phenomena. But nowadays with electric lights, that lights up a very large area and the eye receives more visual forms. So we can see just in this one example how merely the technological development of electric lighting has made the uh, made it more difficult for the mind to become peaceful and collected. Whereas in the past with candles, the mind was more easily one-pointed. So one should endeavor to seek out a peaceful place. We can call this uh, seclusion of body, a place that's quiet and peaceful. And when the body is secluded, then this can lead to mental seclusion or citta viveka. In this mental seclusion, we can say is the same as the mind that's collected in samadhi. So if the mind is with bhutto, or with the in and out breath, then this is citta viveka, mental seclusion, all the same. So whether one is in a cave, or in a forest, or in a place uh, with physical seclusion or not, if the mind is 
collected in this way, then the mind is capable of being secluded in these different situations. There was one occasion where I had the opportunity to see an autopsy of an individual who had died and died in some accident. And this individual had uh, undigested food in their stomach that I could see as they were being cut open. And seeing this, I reflected that this individual did not think that they were about to die because they, they had just eaten. And reflecting this way, we can think, well, it's not sure when we'll die. It's not sure at all. And merely just this reflection, contemplating this way, can lead the mind to become collected. This is a, one of the methods of contemplation. So, these days with the five hindrances on the increase in the mind, less peaceful, more mental busyness, one can see that when the mind is about to proliferate, one will start to think, oh, this individual who died, they were a, a policeman. But at this time, I had sufficient mindfulness and wisdom to see that this thought was coming from the beginnings of mental proliferation. This is wisdom coming from vipassana, or clear seeing. This is seeing anicca, dukkha, anatta, seeing it's not a me, not a mind, not a self. There's really no one there. Seeing this, this is the mind understanding the Dhamma. So one has faith, sufficient faith to do the meditation practice. And the important thing is that one must uh, do the meditation practice every day. Because there are so many sense impressions that contact the mind in a given day, if one does not practice and meditate, then one simply won't be able to, to survive or last. We can compare it to sustaining the body. We take in food and rest and water, and this allows our body to sustain itself. In the same way, the mind should be uh, taken care of. And even taking food as an example, if one eats too much uh, sugary things or too many salty things, uh, too much sugar can lead to diabetes and too much salt can lead to kidney disease. So we can see that uh, similarly with the mind, it matters what you're feeding the mind. And we can say that doing vipassana practice is reducing the weight of the kilesas in the mind. Umpucha taught if that if one knows how to eat, then one knows how to practice. So we must train the mind. This mind is something that's incredibly valuable. If one seeks out external wealth and does not rest at all, then this gives rise to disease. There was one venerable Lumpu, a venerable grandfather, who said that we seek out money and wealth and then we use that wealth to take care of our ailing bodies. And so one should do it 
in a way that's just right, that's just enough, not too much. One must know how to use wealth properly and also how to seek wealth properly as well. To have a body that's strong and to take care of the body well. So one should be careful about this. And one should also know the true value of the mind. The mind that's trained can become peaceful and this can lead to wisdom. And this is a life that has the most value that it can. So we're born into a family or situation that's uh, a Buddhist family or an environment with Buddhism available. And this is a very good fortune on our part to be born into this situation. We have a monastery to go to and in which to practice. In the, uh, in the past or in certain countries, even in the present day, there were no monasteries to go to. Someone can ask in this situation, what should one do? The answer is that one can have a monastery in one's heart. One can recollect the mantra Bhutto or contemplate nature with wisdom. So if there's no monastery, one makes the monastery one's heart. One can also go to a forest or a cave or a peaceful place in this way, and these places can become one's monastery. So the monastery uh, gives us a great strength of heart in this way. And the important, another important aspect of our practice is to listen to Dhamma. Listening to Dhamma can lead to understanding on how to practice Dhamma. It can clear away doubts that we may have about the Dhamma. So we do our meditation practice with our meditation object to develop the mind. The Krubhajans, the great teachers, have taught that if an individual of, very, of low wisdom uh, stays with a great teacher, then this individual, even though they have not very much wisdom, they can still develop quickly. And listening to Dhamma gives us uh, a great opportunity in this way. Nubhuchara once said that wherever I go, I'm listening to the Buddha all the time. This means that he saw things as Dhamma. He had sufficient uh, samadhi and wisdom to be able to see all things as Dhamma. When Nubhucha visited England, he said that all throughout this trip to England, he was listening to the Buddha all the time. He was not lost in the external development, the worldly development and external wealth that one could observe in England. This was 45 years ago. And the difference in external development between Thailand and England was very great. They were very different. England was very materially developed and wealthy, and Thailand was not. But even given this, Lumpu Cha was not lost in this uh, external phenomena of worldly development. He saw things as Dhamma, saw everything as Anicca, impermanent, that all arises and passes, that really there's no me, there's no you, 
there's no past, there's no future, there's no giver of Dhamma talks, there's no listener of Dhamma talks. It's all just as it is. There's no being, there's no self there. It's all Dhamma. Anger is Dhamma. Greed, aversion, and delusion are Dhamma. The five hindrances are Dhamma. The path and fruits are Dhamma. Mindfulness and clear comprehension are Dhamma. All that arises is Dhamma. It's just Dhamma. There's no me, there's no you, there's no I there. Seeing this clearly, one is able to let go with wisdom. One sees that the body, the feelings of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, the mind, it's just the body, it's just feeling, it's just the mind. It's just what it is. There's no self there. Seeing this clearly, the mind realizes temporary liberation, realizes Nibbana temporarily. And this comes from the development of clear knowing. So to be able to practice meditation, be interested in this practice, in this life, this means that one must have practiced in the past as well. Because this practice of meditation is something that's really not easy at all. One may the Kubhajans have said one should practice uh, four hours a day and we can try just 30 minutes at first but we may not feel like we have a lot of time so one can practice the Buddha mantra in one's mind and listen to Dhamma and in this way one is practicing all the time we can see that this world something that's not stable it never sits still, it rises and passes, it's not permanent. We see the Buddha clearly in the Dhamma, we see the Buddha in our own hearts. In the Buddha's time, there were many individuals who saw the physical body of the Buddha and they went to hell because they just saw the outer Buddha, they didn't see the Buddha in their own heart. So we can see that this seeing of the Buddha externally, it can be either a great high merit or it can be a very bad karma as well. And we can look at the example of Anya Kondanya, the first awakened disciple of the Buddha. He was someone that saw clearly into the Dhamma, had no doubts left. So may you have strong effort in your Dhamma practice. And one day you can see clearly into the Dhamma. And the seeing clearly will change one's views, destroys wrong view. And this is something that one should endeavor to do in this very life. And if one is able to do this, then even if one is born again, there'll be no eighth life, only at the most seven more lifetimes. So this is something that we must reach in this present life of ours. So may you all be determined in your practice.